Hey, this is Kari Payton. I'm Cyborg from Teen Titans and Injustice and Injustice 2. And Ezekiel from The Walking Dead. And you're listening to The Night Nerd. So keep listening. Also, booyah! Because I'm schizophrenic. Welcome to the Night Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Lance. It's Tuesday, so we're going to talk some TV and movies. We are super honored and super glad to have Sebastian Major from Our Fake History back on the show again today. And I got to tell you, folks, this one is a doozy. We look at so many crazy ideas and theories and myths and conspiracies and stuff that, well, just listen and enjoy. Make sure you're checking out Our Fake History on all social media platforms, on all podcasting platforms and networks just go check it out it's great all right we're here with sebastian major from our fake history sebastian how are you doing today sir i'm great how you doing doing wonderful so this is your second day here um we didn't run him off after the first day didn't scare him off so that's always good you're from our fake history tell us a little bit about that show so our fake history is a podcast about historical myths so i look at stories that people think really happened and have been told again and again and again and passed off as real history, but they might not be 100% accurate. Or maybe it's just a really fun story that got made up at one point in time and got wrapped into the historical record. So I try to separate the fact from the fiction and tell a lot of really great stories along the way. Yeah, I'm a huge history person, and what I like, and we'll get into it later on in the week, is how you just don't limit yourself to either classical history or Victorian or modern. You're just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think there's some major television networks that supposedly focus on history could, could learn from. Well, tell me about it, right? You know, like I, I think part of the reason why I started this show is that I was a little disappointed in the history media that was out there. There are so many amazing stories from across the world and throughout you know, the entire expanse of time. And instead, we just keep on focusing on the same stuff. And it's not that World War II isn't interesting. World War II is super interesting. But you can but only colorize more. it so many times. <laughs> right, right? There's more to the human story. And also, I don't need to see any more guys buying things out of storage containers. Yeah. But what if they're storage <laughs> containers from aliens? Oh, right, of course. <laughs> That's, but part part of history, you know, we talked recent history yesterday with video games. Um, we're right now, I think, in a second golden age of movies. It's ridiculous, the quality out there. And movies are kind of celebrating their centennial. It's just over 100 years movies have been around. And in that 100 years, there's been some crazy, crazy things that people have thought of happened and things that actually did happen. And so I kind of want to look at a few of those today. I mean, we're just going to tip of the iceberg because this is something I feel like could be three, four, five weeks of shows talking movie myths. But I'm one of those people, we talked to Easter eggs yesterday. I remember pre-internet days, there was a series of books that talked about Easter eggs and movies. And there was, I don't know, I think five or six in the series and it broke it down by decades and you could... It would talk about a movie and like, oh, if you look in this scene, you can see Spielberg put 
this and E.T. from Close Encounters. And I think there's a a correlation there that we kind of talked about yesterday where Easter eggs spawn a lot of myths. Yeah. And in movies, it's no different. Uh, We'll start with E.T. You know, there's a whole... E.T. takes place in the Star Wars universe because there's a... In the big... Now, I'm a Trekkie. I'll admit all day long. I'm not a Star Wars fan, but know thy enemy. So yeah, man. there's that scene I, where I'm the a, ETs I'm a are just... TNG guy myself, oh, just so you know. I, yes. So this is just for us. You know, you, you yeah. listening at home can't see, but I have a big Star Trek tattoo, like right on my forearm. Well it's, done. It's my jam. My wife has Star Wars tattoos, so it makes holidays interesting. But... <laughs> But there's that scene in the council where they have the little E.T. I mean, we call them E.T. Same way we call them Baby Yoda. They're right. E.T. We don't... I forgot their actual name. And so there's that whole legend that we are in the Star Wars universe. And yeah. I think that's an example of a of people reading too far into stuff, possibly. And what do, you, what do you think about that? I think that film are our modern myths. And... Uh, I think because film is is more uh, universally accessible even than literature, I think that uh, movies have become our modern mythology. And I think even if you look at ancient mythology, you see kind of uh, crossover events, if you will, uh, where like a hero will like turn up. Like actually, this happens all the time with uh, ancient uh, like Heracles or Hercules stories where Hercules will just sort of pop up in another story, and it's like, oh, Hercules is here. Maybe he can help us out. Uh, And that kind of... So I guess what I'm saying is that uh, when you have a a really iconic character, uh, popping them into stuff uh, is as old as storytelling. So it doesn't surprise me when we're looking at things like, you know, Star Wars or uh, any of our modern science fiction stuff, which really is modern mythology, if I'm not being too pretentious <laughs> about that, uh, if, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that we're like, oh, I, I kind of want to see you know, my favorite characters pop in and pop out, or they're only really there if you're looking real close for it. And uh, you know, in, in those Star Wars prequels, I mean, I'm looking for anything that's going to be kind of entertaining. And so <laughs> you know, spotting the, uh, the little E.T. guys in that meeting is you know, one of the the highlights of those films, I'd say. there has got to be highlights somewhere in it, right. maybe. But, you know, going back to that, like, as long as movies have been around, there's been legends. Uh, there's the, one of the very first things ever associated with film was George Millet's train film that Martin Scorsese homaged perfectly in Hugo. Um, I'm nice. a huge Scorsese fan, but there was a myth that people were passing out and running out of the theater because before then, everything had just been lateral, like side side to side, and this was the first time you actually had depth in a film. Now, we've learned since then that that's not exactly true, but it's only recently. I actually just finished reading a book that was published in the 60s about silent film, and he has almost a whole chapter dedicated to these people running out of a theater and the chaos that movies like that caused so the myths are as old as film themselves and that's um like i said well as your show perfectly exemplifies that myths are as old as stories so modern stories are going to have modern myths what are some of your favorite myths in in film 
I like movies that are ambiguous and have leave room for fan theories. So, I mean, I love Kubrick. Uh, and so I really, I remember the first movie that really made me speculate about what was that all about was, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. And at the end is, is is purposefully ambiguous and it's so weird and it's so trippy. And I think I was only like 12 when I saw it for the first time, but I was fascinated by it. And I had this, my own elaborate theory at the age of 12 about what happened. Um, and, and since then I've read a, a number of things. So, I mean, those of you that haven't seen 2001 and if you have not seen 2001 do yourself a favor and watch one of the great films um but uh at the end our sort of hero astronaut sort of descends towards i believe it's saturn like the the, the planet saturn but then he kind of starts having this almost it almost seems like a psychedelic hallucination and he sees all the stages of his life he appears in this strange white room um the the odd monolith is there this big black kind of block that is this weird artificial or extraterrestrial intelligence that's been sort of haunting the whole movie. And then at the end, there's this giant baby that floats towards Earth, you know, the the giant fetus, the space child. Um, And so that to me is like amazing. Now, I know the main theory out there on that is that like the entire movie is about essentially the evolution of humanity and the role that maybe extraterrestrial intelligence could have potentially played in that. And that final moment is perhaps meant to represent the next stage in our evolution, that this astronaut has been transformed into some sort of higher being that, you know, has been ushered into existence by the monolith or some other uh, alien intelligence. And, And that's what it's supposed to represent. But I also love that it's deeply unclear and you can really, you know, uh, fill in the blanks any way you want at the end of that movie. So that's really cool. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Kubrick in space because one of my favorite myths that I don't believe, but I love to see all the support and everything is the whole he filmed the space landing and then in The Shining explained why he did it and how he did it. Yeah, right. You know, and there, there's a documentary on Netflix about about that. You know how he changed the room number from the book to it was the distance from Earth to the Moon in miles or kilometers or something, and now that's the thing. And then Danny wears the spaceship shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah, and that's yeah. Well, when I was doing the series on the moon landing, that definitely came up. So yeah, those of you out there that don't know, one of uh, the most popular moon landing conspiracies is that uh, Stanley Kubrick actually filmed all the footage that NASA says is from the moon. Um, now, I think that is complete garbage and completely untrue, but I love the people that find proof of it in the shining of all places. Yeah, like the, down to the texture of the carpet or the style of the carpet, it's one of those that you just sit back and watch and enjoy and just see where they go with it and i mean i guess technically it hasn't been disproven but the majority of us you know we're like okay whatever one of my favorite myths that again as a kid i was like oh my gosh this is real but as i grew up i was like oh 
it's not is on the Wizard of Oz, that one scene in the background where they say one of the munchkins hung themselves because, oh, yeah. and then it, now it's like, oh no, that was a ostrich or an emu or something. But when you pause it and look at it, it's like, oh my gosh. And yeah. only recently did I find like the even bigger myth behind that, that they've disproven is there was this legend that all of the munchkins were uh, rowdy, I guess we'll, we'll yeah. say to keep it PG. You know, they yeah. would get drunk and and everything. And so this one munchkin, you know, he didn't get I don't know somebody he liked was hooking up with somebody else. So he was just distraught <laughs> and decided to end it all on camera. And uh, as a kid, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, that that was a different time. So maybe they didn't edit movies. They didn't pay as much attention as we do now, which is a lie but you know as a kid you're like well they didn't have computer effects to edit it out so they just had to leave it in there and that's (laughs) that's one of my favorite ones that looking back i was like wow but it's it's one that has another one that has a lot of traction and has gotten uh, you know every so often you see it pop up and you're like come on people we've we've proven this was wrong but yeah it's a good one that that reminds me of uh the dark side of oz have you ever done that I I haven't. I've had some friends do it, yeah. like how it kind of perfectly syncs up. But yeah, yeah. So those of you that out there that don't know, uh, the the story goes. And actually, I have tried this, and it kind of works. So <laughs> try it for yourself. But you turn on Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon" and you press play right when the lion roars for the third time at the during the MGM logo right at the top and. Uh, and then the music syncs up closely-ish to um, uh, the images from essentially the first part of, of Wizard of Oz. The coolest moment. It, it, so most of it's like, I think I see something happening. I think it's kind of interesting. When they're playing Great Gig in the Sky, that's when the, the tornado's happening. So that's kind of cool. But the coolest part is when you have it timed just right, when Dorothy opens the door to Oz and it's in color and you see the yellow brick road for the first time, if you have it timed just right, you hear cha-ching and money starts playing. Nice. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And if you are under the influence of the correct substances, it will blow your mind. Yeah, I, I think that's one of those that requires a little little extra help from, from things, yeah. Uh, yeah. legal or not. But... You brought up MGM. That's another one that makes the rounds every so often is that the MGM line mauled yeah. its trainer and killed everybody, but they still got the footage somehow. And But, we, again, it's something we know now is that there was numerous lines. They've filmed that many times over the years. Mm-hmm. It's just it's fun to see these make cycles, even in today's information age. You know, every so often people are like, oh, well, did you see this? I'm like, yeah, I saw it disproved four years ago. I saw it disproved ten years ago. I saw it disproved in a magazine. But, again, with movies being our modern myths, our modern stories, it just shows where our culture is at as far as drinking the juice, as it were, of they sure. want to believe it. They, you know, And you get into stuff, again, we could do a whole series on The Matrix and what people oh, yeah, sure. think there are conspiracies in there and that this means that and everything because even since then there's spawned a whole group of people that think we live in a matrix and right <laughs> now so on that one 
we we did mention how one of the biggest red flags on a myth is the time from when they mention it. Yeah. But with the Matrix the later, stuff, it kind of came pretty quick. Right. The later a story uh, appears after the event supposedly took place, the more likely it is that it's a myth. Um, that's like a good rule of thumb. It's a rule of thumb I use all the time on my podcast. Um, but, you know, that whole thing about the, the Matrix, uh, the idea that, you know, we're we're all living in some sort of simulation. Um, that idea is as old as Western philosophy. That's essentially Plato's allegory of the cave. Uh, so the Wachowskis uh, didn't, you know, invent that idea. That's an, a very, very old idea that, you know, is at the heart of not only Western philosophy, but also um, Hinduism and Buddhism both sort of tell us that the the reality we're living in is an illusion. So even though, you know, right away people are like, it's true, it's 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 a an AI simulation that we're living in, I think the AI part is just sort of a modern update on a very, very ancient philosophical concept. And I think it's one that we've all kind of dabbled with at one point, gone like, uh, is any of this real? Is this, could this all be fake? And, uh, you know, and then the matrix just tapped into that sort of a very, um, primal idea that I think we've all kind of dipped our toe into once or twice. Yeah. It's, they're just, McDonald's wouldn't be as popular as it was if it was controlled by a computer. I feel like we wouldn't have <laughs> some of the things. Um, another interesting myth and I forgot to bring it up yesterday I meant to talk about the Madden curse yesterday but today I want to talk about the Superman curse you know the Madden curse is whoever was on the cover of Madden the next year they get hurt or have a bad season and that's just that's football that's going to happen but the Superman curse you know you look at uh, there's a phenomenal film called Hollywood Land so People who are longtime listeners know I have an unhealthy love for Ben Affleck. Like, he's the patron <laughs> saint of our show. He's awesome. Really? And, oh, yeah, like, hey, up above my computer here, I have an autographed picture from Daredevil because I love Daredevil. Oh, cool. And I have, uh, I got to meet him uh, two years ago at a comic convention. That picture's over here. Like, right on. It's a background on my phone, and my wife's cropped out of it because it just wouldn't fit. <laughs> But uh, I bet she loves that. Eh? She, oh, mm, yeah. Again, <laughs> holidays are interesting around here. Yeah. But Hollywood Land explores that story of George Reeves, who was Superman, and r- really was one of the first major typecasts. You know, in silent film, you had like Buster Keaton, who was always the slapstick guy, and even Charlie Chaplin. But George Reeves was the first. I feel like. Well, definitely the first superhero typecast, but the first time that we saw that you had public appearances as your character and you did everything. And then, you know, his life ended with a lot of mysterious circumstances around it. And you had Christopher Reeves, who had the tragic horse riding accident and then um, move on to Tom Welling, Dean Cain, who they couldn't really get work even even though Brandon Routh has kind of found another life on DC or CW's Legends of Tomorrow that Superman curse if it doesn't kill them it kills their careers and is Henry Cavill next I mean he hasn't done he's not supporting the Snyder cut so in (laughs) we'll see how the Witcher goes 
you know i think uh, he's trying real hard to distance himself from that you know he's being yeah. very proactive um whereas you look at like dean kane and tom welling who i think they've kind of embraced the so-called curse you know they do the comic cons they do the appearances and so i know when it comes to a a curse it's hard to say well that's a that it's hard to prove a curse i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah uh but there's obviously enough um enough of a of a connection there that i can see how that story got going but you can kind of tell in, in both of those examples that you brought up both the madden curse and the superman curse that there are some examples that fit the curse a bit better than others. <laughs> and so this is why you always kind of got to shrug at those things because you go like, oh, it is really tragic that um, uh, the very first uh, Superman, I'm sorry, forgetting his name again, George... Uh, George Reeves. George Reeves, right. And then Christopher Reeves, right. I should have known, Reeves. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, both of them had these really sort of tragic stories. Uh, and the irony is so, you know, obvious. It's like they played an invincible man. Right. And then they only prove to be all too human. Right. And that I think that irony really kind of, you know, twinges for us. But then when you extend it out to be like, well, Dean Cain's career is only dead. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like being kind of very liberal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think you could the in the broadest sense, you can look at maybe, okay, well, they're playing a modern god this larger than life character and that's there's definitely some psychological issues that would go with that and i mean maybe you could be like okay well i can see where mentally they may have some issues and stuff but even then it's like that's it's just making it as broad as possible again to fit your your motive to fit what you're trying to your agenda is what you're trying to get across um it's the only thing that i can see that maybe is when you're playing you know a little literal god because if you look at like his voice actors they're all fine they're working uh right. even the guy who did yeah. the black and white serials right he, i mean i don't think he did a whole lot of work afterwards but still maybe not cursed yeah <laughs> yeah and but you know what it's it's a tricky character to nail right and i think that's what the the more recent superman films have have sort of struggled with and I think that was really the magic of, of Christopher Reeves uh, is that, you know, when you're playing this character that is so powerful, uh, there has to be something about him that is still kind of like gentle and sweet and nice. And you have to you have to really not only like him, but sort of love him. Um, and that was something that I, right when they started to kind of reboot Superman, I guess, was right in the era where everyone thought that for a superhero movie to be any good, it had to be dark, right? We, we just came through uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman series, which, I mean, hey, I'm not alone in thinking is pretty spectacular. But I think the lesson that people took from that uh, was that, oh, it's got to be dark. But they missed the fact that actually the lesson should be, the story should be good and interesting, mm-hmm. right? Um, and one thing about you know the Christopher Reeves, why it's such a great Superman is that not only do you buy him as this powerful man, but you, but you also really f- see the softness in him, and you like him, and you also believe him as this like sweet Kansas boy. Well, that's it. You know, Superman. He's called the Boy Scout. Like Batman yeah. movies need to be dark. Superman movies need to be light and hopeful. But yeah. speaking of 
modern gods, you know, one of the guys who is larger than life and so has so many myths about him and his company, Walt Disney. Sure. Uh, again, that's something you can go on and on. One of the ones that I think was interesting, and again, this is me dating myself, is in the 90s, you know, when you had the phallic symbol on the Little Mermaid, when you had SEX in the dust, and those were all kind of explained away, like, no, that wasn't that, that wasn't that. But, like we keep saying, there's a grain of truth, and that comes from the rescuers. You know, there was always this myth of there was one scene... In, on a TV where there's a naked lady as they're flying through New York, and that was proven to be true. So that's one of those times you see. But my favorite Walt Disney myth is that either his head or his whole body is cryogenically frozen somewhere underneath Walt Disneyland. Um, where, where do you weigh in on that one? Well, I've, I, I've of course heard the story. Um and I've also heard a million times that it's a kind of a classic urban legend and that, you know, back when he died, cryogenics was not in the place that that would have even been possible. And it may not even be possible now, but I'm sure someone out there probably knows more about the science <laughs> of cryogenics than I do. Um, but if he was frozen, like, I highly doubt he put himself, like, you know, underneath Space Mountain or whatever. <laughs> got to stay close home one newer theory on that that i've heard um and again this is where in today's information age we get stuff is he was he wasn't a nazi sympathizer necessarily but the nazis really liked walt disney because he didn't like jewish people and so yeah. now they're coming out with this saying oh well you know the nazis had this advanced science and this advanced technology so they're the ones that saved him i'm like now we're really just diving and it's it's pretty funny but you know, again, it's one of those things that it's just true enough that you kind of take a step back and you're like, well, m maybe, yeah. probably not, but. Well, and, and Disney has like a very complicated uh, history and it's all there in the movies. And there are early Disney films that are, you know, straight up anti-Semitic with some very, uh, you know, uh, upsetting depictions of Jewish people. Um, the other side of it is that during the war, Disney made uh, propaganda films for the United States uh, that were very, you know, like pro-American, anti-Nazi. They made some very intense anti-Nazi films as well. I do not think that forgives the anti-Semitism. But uh, one thing I often comes up in my show is that people are complicated. And like Walt Disney uh, is one of those people who is like super complicated. And I think it's completely understandable if you go like i can't stomach you know the more uh you know upsetting anti-semitic elements of some early disney films but then also mixed in with that it's like yeah and then there's also all of these films that you know uh affirmed goodness as well so how, what do you do with that well you sift through it and you know you, you make your own decisions and you and that's that's i think one of the biggest things i want people to take from my show is you know, don't turn your, your nose away from the, the, the nasty stuff, but then also be aware of the good stuff and and form a 3D picture of complicated human beings. Yeah, and especially when you're somebody that big with that much attention. You know, we talked earlier about Superman being the first larger-than-life type character. I mean, Walt Disney, he has transcended just being a guy at this point. You know, he's... Yeah. There, 
there's a great YouTube series, the Epic Rap Battles of History, where it's Stan Lee versus Jim Henson, and in the mm-hmm. final act, Walt Disney comes in and like controls them all, and he this evil mouse empire takes them over, and <laughs> it, it's it's yeah. a lot of fun. But yeah, so movies, you know, no matter where you look at, whether you, cartoons, silent films, modern films, sci-fi, everything, there's myths and legends out there everywhere, and we would love to hear some of your favorites. Drop us a line down below. Hit us up on social media. Just look for The Night Nerd. Email me, nightnerd at thenightnerd.com. Sebastian, where can they find you out there? Um, You can always go to my website at ourfakehistory.com. Real simple. Check out my entire archive of of episodes. Uh, Check out all the art that's up there. Hey, if you're into comic book art, uh, my artist... uh, Yates original images for each of my episodes that uh, have a really cool uh, sort of comic book style to them. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Our Fake History or go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Our Fake History. Nice. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. Um, this was a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, I could talk movies for days, but we got to move on. We got to talk some comic books tomorrow. Happy to do it. Yes. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>